You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway. I have a little announcement to make before we can get to today's episode. I'm about to start work on a movie musical that's filming for the next three months. I can't give you any details other than that, but I'm very excited about this project. And as soon as I can spill a little tea on what I'm doing and what it is, I will absolutely share with all of you. So look out for updates about that. We are also going to have to take a little pause on the podcast while I'm working, but we will be back. There are a bunch of people that I'm dying to record with, so look out for new episodes of Little Me coming to you probably a little later in the summer. I do have a brilliant guest with me today, and I think you are all going to be knocked out by her story. My guest on today's episode became one of the most talked about theater kids of the 90s when she was cast as Annie in the first ever Broadway revival of Annie. After 106 performances in the pre-Broadway tour of Annie, she was replaced before the show would open on Broadway. The entire experience was documented by ABC's Turning Point. She later moved to Hollywood as a teen, signing with A&M Records. She eventually released a 2006 album called This Crazy Life on Geffen Records. She has appeared on the soundtracks for Legally Blonde, singing Watch Me Shine, on the Brat soundtrack, singing Out From Under, a song that would later be recorded by Britney Spears on her Circus album. She starred on the MTV show True Life and appeared on season eight of American Idol. She is an amazing storyteller. She is so candid about her experience, and it was really, truly a thrill for me to get to know her a little bit. So enjoy my chat with the brilliant, smart, and very pregnant Joanna Pasidi. Hello, Joanna Pasidi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. uh, I'm so excited to chat with you. You're super pregnant and you have a toddler (laughs) and you made some time for little me growing up Broadway. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's actually a nice little break from, it's like I separate these different versions of myself. (laughs) Take the mom hat off. (laughs) Your story has always had a really big impact on me. And I've been such a huge champion of you because I feel like your talent is so special. And little me, we talk a lot about these major highs of being a young performer, but there are things that sometimes go left and it's a little less than magical. And you've experienced some of that. And I think parents and kids should understand how this business really works sometimes. And certainly, you know, we know it can be hard, but you know, your story is you're a survivor and you're amazing. And I can't wait to unpack your story with you. So again, thank you for, uh, for sharing the time. So let's go back before the Anniness. When you were a little kid, when did you first realize that you could sing? Because your voice is like sensational. It always has been. It always will be. Tell me about those uh, singing. Um, you know what? I was always, I was always one of those kids that was saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Like, and it's, it drives me nuts now because I actually have a niece that's like that too. And I'm like, oh, I get a little taste of it. Um, I started out doing dance school. I was doing a ton of dance and gymnastics. And there was this, there was this one little girl that went to our dance school and she was kind of like the star of the studio Um, And she always did like these shows, um, local shows at children's hospitals and stuff like that. And she sang and I would come and watch her practice every day. And she had like a little studio in the basement of her house and I would watch her and watch her. And I was like kind of obsessed with her. She was only a couple years older than me. Um, And I knew all of her routines. I knew all of her songs. Never even tried to sing them really. But there was one day that um, her mom told me, Joanna, like... um, the girl that she usually does this duet with um, canceled for the show tomorrow. Do you know this song? And I was like, yeah. Okay, what was the song? <laughs> um, it was it was a song called Wherever We Go. Okay. Wherever we, we go. go. I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I knew all the moves. I knew all the choreography. I knew the song. And I got up and I did it. And she was just like, she got on the phone and called my mom. She's like, do you know that Joanna can sing? And mom's like, no. And she's like, come down here now. You need to see this. And I think I was probably about five years old at that time. And we ran out that day to get to buy matching outfits for the show the next day. And it just got that taste. It was like a little outdoor, it wasn't even anything crazy. It was like a summertime outdoor barbecue thing. And we sang and I got a little taste of what it felt like to be up there and the applause and the whole. And then event. you were hooked. That's, that's yep. what happens. So yep. were you doing like local theaters? Had you been performing at all before the Annie audition? Um, yes, I did. I did some local theater before that. Um, like after, after that started and I got a little taste of, of singing and performing, there was a local show in Philadelphia called the Al Alberts Show. Um, oh my God, I know was, all about the Al Albert show. So <laughs> many people have been on this podcast to talk about the Al Albert show. Oh my gosh. Isn't it so crazy? I like, I miss it. That was like my favorite part of Saturday mornings. Um, so I sang, I sang on the Al Albert show and that's when I met my manager. She saw, saw me on the show and that's when she started sending me on auditions. And, um, I did some dinner theater shows. I was an orphan in Annie first. Um, I was a munchkin in Wizard of Oz at the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia. Right. So you were like, you were like a little kid doing the thing everywhere. Yeah, living the life. <laughs> and then um, when you're 11, I guess, they announced this national search for the new Annie. And did you go to a local audition? 
I did. You know, at the time I was in Connecticut and I was in a show, I was at the Goodspeed Opera House. We were only in rehearsals at that point um, for the show Paper Moon and saw like the newspaper ad for the local auditions. And I, I came home and auditioned at the King of Prussia Mall, um, lined up with all the kids, didn't go to like the New York private auditions. I went about the, the whole thing. Um, and it was at like a Macy's in a mall. <laughs> and did they give you like a ticket to say you were moving on? How did you find out you were going to like the next phase of auditions? Oh my gosh. I don't want to like confuse this with idol. <laughs> I'm trying to think, you know what? I mean, it was a hundred years ago, but not at all. I mean, you also look 15. So God bless your genes or whatever. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, it was, it was a t-shirt and you know what? I don't even know if I still have that t-shirt. I, I'm sure my mom does. She hangs on to everything. Yes. Um, but yeah, they gave us a t-shirt and said, we're going to the next round in New York. And so is that when Turning Point ABC started to follow you? When did that, when did they start coming to like your dad's barbershop to film you? Like when, when did the craziness start to begin with the filming for, and for those of you who are listening and hearing this story for the first time, ABC's Turning Point followed the entire audition process um, with two hour long specials over the course of two years or a year. But um, so yeah, when did they start to follow you? Um, I think, well, they were, they were there at the original auditions and um, they were kind of like hiding out. They weren't really like into any specific kids, like didn't pull anyone aside and they were just following the whole process as a whole. Um, but I believe it was after the New York audition that they 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 came to my hometown and interviewed my dad and my mom and and me and my dad's barbershop and the whole the whole deal. Now, would you really sing in that barbershop or was that put on for that? No, that that is absolutely where I would say I practiced in my dad's barbershop. I sang for his customers all the time. It was like we spent so much time and it was in the basement of our house. So it was kind of like. It was like, go you downstairs know. and sing a couple of songs. Right. Yeah. And it was like, it was great. It was like a glorified rehearsal for me. It was practice. And, you know, my dad was so proud and loved every bit of it. And his customers would give me tips and it was the best thing ever, like getting sure. paid to do this. <laughs> now, at that point, did you start to feel like, oh my God, this thing might happen for me? I mean, if they were coming to my house and interviewing my family and following me, it would like, you know, most kids audition for a show, they go home and they wait, they come back and they wait. But it feels like the the ball was really in the air for this long period as they searched. Did you start, right. did that start to get in your head at all? I don't know. I think I was, I was pretty oblivious to so much. Like now that I think back and like I have so much more perspective, obviously, but like I didn't really think too much about it. I thought they were going to everyone's house and interviewing their families and getting a story. And I thought it was just part of it. I wasn't, I didn't think like, oh, I've got this in the bag. This means something like, you know what I mean? Um, I honestly, like I, yeah, I didn't think too far into it. I didn't think that I had it just because of, you know, they were coming to my hometown. So during that last New York audition, when the, it's very clear, there's you and maybe three or four other real possible contenders. I'm sure like every day becomes the, is this the day we're going to find out? Or did you know that you had to wait for this live announcement at Macy's in Herald Square? No. Yeah. We, we, they built it up. We knew that it was coming to a head and they were doing this 
massive press conference. And I think they probably, in a way, for children, like, because that can be pretty intimidating. You're in this tiny room and there had to be like 50 cameras all just crowded around us. And that would be intimidating for a child. So they did prepare us and said, like, this is where the announcement will be. This is when Andrew McArdle will be there. Sandy will be there, which to me was like the best part of it all was the dog. (laughs) Yeah. So we were, we, we knew that was the day for sure. Now let's talk about this day because I think it's actually the most hateful thing that's ever happened to like kids to put all of the possible Annie's on stage, have them sing tomorrow. And then Andrea come and touch tap hug the girl who's going to be the next Annie. Like that is an insane situation to put kids in. Um, I'm sure at the time it, you know, they weren't thinking about the mental, you know, we're watching all these kids like, sob when they didn't get it, but you did not have that experience, luckily. No, I didn't. But I, I can remember feeling like like I didn't want to act too excited like after the fact around the other kids who did. I can remember feeling like, oh, should I not be this excited? Like, should I not? Because I don't want to rub it in. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is. It's kind of, especially with children, but I feel like watching so many TV shows, like I watch The Bachelor and it's like to see these people fall in love and then like watch them as their heart is breaking. It just seems like it's so wrong, but it's TV. It's like one of the TV like, at the end of the day. So that's why I'm talking about it right now, because it is like the wildest situation. Yeah. Um, now in that moment, I'm sure you're, you probably like stepped outside of yourself. Like, could this possibly really be happening? What do you remember? And I know it's a while ago, but what do you remember about that day mostly? Honestly, I didn't think she was choosing me. I thought she was like pushing me out of the way to get to someone else. Like I didn't. So if you watch the video, like she puts her hand on my shoulder and like my whole body kind of freezes. And and then it like clicks for me and realized that, oh, she picked me. Like <laughs> I, yeah, that was like for me at that point in my life, a dream come true. Like this was it. You know? And then you had to follow it up by singing tomorrow in front of all. Oh, of the- that was the worst part. Yes, thanks for bringing that back up to I'm me. So sorry, <laughs> it's just like I'm like, and now she has to sing it in front. It was so the whole thing is just like would never happen today in a million. No, years. Um, no. and it's no. amazing that everyone's okay. But it it really was like, and then to watch it, you know, to be home and be I'm I'm slightly older than you, but I felt like you know we were kind of going through this process with these kids and like how much everyone wanted it. But there was no doubt that looking at this group of kids, there was one kid that was standing out and it was you. I mean, in every moment you were so present and you could sing it better than anyone. And you probably still can sing it better than anyone, but it was like, (laughs) no, there was no question. It had to be you. And so then to see it be you was, was so rewarding for the people at home and all the young theater kids who've watched it since it's like a really uh, special moment. So tell me about, what happens after that? Do you go right into rehearsals? Do you have a big break? What What do you remember about the time before things really started to kick off? Um, we we did have a break. There was some time in between, which like drove drove me nuts. But just the whole idea, like I mean, I grew up in like a blue collar family. My dad's a barber. His shop is in the basement of my house, and so this idea of like we're going to live in New York city for a month or two and have these rehearsals and have like, like an adult 
like life in a way. Like I'm going to my job. Like I have a, I just got a job. <laughs> like, and I'm going to be paid money that I don't think anyone in my family's ever seen before. Like it was just, it was overwhelming and it was exciting. And I, I, I can just remember the same as when I was chosen. Like I've always been the type of person that like, I didn't want to show how excited I was because I still wanted to like come across even with my friends as like a normal kid. Like I'm not any better than you. I'm not. So like, I feel like it gave me anxiety and I like held all this excitement in and it was just, it was just so surreal. Like it's crazy. What do you remember about rehearsals once that actually, you were actually doing the thing? It was hard. They're long, they're long hours for a child, you know? Um, But my, honestly, I think my favorite part of rehearsals doing the show was with Sandy, the dog. Which is going to come back to you because you're, you, you actually got to keep the dog, right? Yes. I think everyone knew like just how in love I was with with the dogs. Um, and Bill Berloni, who was the dog trainer, who does all the Sandys for all the Annies. He's incredible. I'm a lifelong friend. Um, that was one of the first things he told me. And I don't know if like maybe other kids would freak out if they're not okay with dogs, but he told me like the dog is pretty much going to live with you from this point forward. Like he's going to have sleepovers with you. He's going to be in your hotel room. He's going to be you guys have to become like best friends and he has to trust you and all that. And so that to me, like was, You're I like, think the, the most job. Yes. It's <laughs> I, so cool. I mean, yeah, it's so funny it amazing. people who play Elle Woods also have to do the same thing with the bruiser. And like all of a sudden oh. now they always have a chihuahua with them and they're like, what? <laughs> I mean, not so much anymore, but in the, in the heyday now, uh, Martin Chardon who created Annie and, uh, also directed the original production and your production. Uh, he passed away not that long ago and you had like a beautiful tribute to him on your Instagram. It seems like you felt like you connected with him. What was your experience working with him? Like, Oh my gosh, I can't even say enough good things about him. Um, he just had this way with, with me and with, it wasn't just me, it was all the children. He had this way of connecting and being able to pull things out of you that I don't think any acting coach or even my mom could pull out of me. Um, and he was just so patient and so kind, but then at the same time could be like, scary, like really hard. He was like, yeah, I was scared of him, but I felt like comfortable with him and safer. It was really strange feeling, but he hands down was one of the best humans that I've ever, that I've ever met in my life. I love that so much. So many, we've had lots of Annie's on the podcast and they all have such wonderful things to say about him. So it's so nice to know that that is true and that he created this child cha- game changing musical that then he actually cared about the kids who were in it. Is <laughs> Yes, um, Absolutely. What do you remember about those for you guys opened in North Carolina, the pre-Broadway tour? Um, I think it was North Carolina, but what do you remember about those first few cities of actually playing the role, now having to keep up with the touring schedule, but also, you know, playing this enormous part? Um, it was, I mean, it was obviously we opened in Houston, actually. I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm like, hmm, that doesn't North Carolina doesn't well, sound North Carolina right. is where you did it after. We'll talk about I did. That. that's what's wrong. Yes. Sorry. Well, <laughs> it does like, all kind of the creepiest 40-year-old man who knows everything. I can't know everything about Annie. It's like <laughs> I should know a lot, but 
There isn't any lunchbox right no, there. No, it's, it's okay. I don't even remember most of it. That's why when you when you were asking me to do this, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even know if I remember all the details. It's been so long. You probably but- remember more than you think. So you open in Houston. Does it feel amazing? Does it feel like the show is not coming together? What are you feeling? Um, obviously, there was a lot of pressure. There's a lot of excitement. Like you have like the normal jitters of opening night, um, but then turn... Uh, Turning Point was still following us at the time. So not only did we have all these jitters, like you have a camera in your face at the same time, like, and they're asking you, like, how do you feel right now? What's going through your head right now? And it just kind of like made everything a little bit crazier and hectic. So those, those first, those first um, couple of shows were pretty intense, Um, but exciting. Like that was the first time I was on a stage in front of that many people. And it was like, it was incredible. It's like, I get emotional even thinking about it. I just, I miss it terribly, but it's I mean, like- we're gonna get, we're gonna get you back on stage. This is what's happening. We're, you're coming to Broadway. <laughs> I'm saving that towards the end of, of this interview. So in, uh, you guys were in Boston and you got sick and that is essentially where this whole thing takes this wild turn and uh your understudy goes on and Brittany Kissinger was your she was the onstage cover but you also had a standby do you remember anything about how they were deciding who to put on when you got sick was there stress about having to actually call out after a hundred and you know six performances or whatever yeah no I yeah I remember this part pretty well all right here we go Um, buckle up everybody yeah (laughs) um I I remember getting really really sick I got bronchitis they sent me to a doctor there in Boston and they were giving me like steroid injections and all this stuff to kind of get me back on track and and I kept telling my mom I kept telling everyone like the stage managers everyone that I'm fine I can do it like and I I could at that point like I told, especially with steroids like pumping through my system of course I could do it <laughs> I don't know yeah I don't know what kind of damage I would have done but it was the doctor who told my mom, like, if if you put your child on stage right now, like, I may have to report you. You're not you're not looking out for your child. Like, for them to like, ask us to do all of this right now to get you back to work to a child is is too much. So I had to I had to bite the bullet and take those shows off. And Alexandra Kiesman was my understudy. That was it. There was no other okay. other understudy. And all of a sudden, all these rumors started going around that they were putting, that they had been rehearsing Brittany Kissinger mm. all along, like privately and didn't tell anyone. Um, and so I guess, I guess they tried Brittany out. And so then that was true. They were rehearsing her. Yeah. Well, she, if, yeah, she knew the yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> I know like a couple of the parents, um, told my mom, like, you know, we, we heard Brittany like rehearsing in the hotel room and just seemed a little odd. It was late at night after one of our shows. And so it was like, like I said, like the little rumors and then she went on and did the show and it was confirmed like, Oh, okay. Yeah. They've been, they've been rehearsing her. And obviously Brittany was my friend. They're, they're all my like sisters. You guys they're all like my a best little friends. Group. Yeah. yeah. So I was like happy for her. I was excited. And I mean, I, I I was feeling for Alexandra too, because obviously she had been like waiting for that moment. Um, and then is it was a few shows in that like we started, my parents like were talking to my manager and there was a lot of talking going on and I didn't know what 
I didn't know what was going on. They weren't sharing anything with me at that point. And then it was like three o'clock in the morning, one night, we had just arrived in Connecticut, I believe. And they had sent over an offer to us. And it was pretty much saying, you can continue in the show, split the role. You don't get opening night on Broadway. You don't get this, this, and this, and this. Um, And for me, it's like I was 106 shows in and like it was all leading up to opening night on Broadway. Broadway, Yeah. And to me, it's like, well, if I don't get that, like that's, I feel like I've had my share. I've been on the road for a long time now, 106 performances. Maybe that's it for me. And so we, uh, my parents and my manager declined the offer. And then it was like the next day that it was just absolute madness and saying that I was fired from the show and that all this craziness, I can't even, I don't even know where to begin. I'm being so honest. Like I I can't imagine what that is to unpack at that age when you have something, you know, that's right in front of you and it it gets pulled away. It feels like a death and that's a lot to put on a young person. And I mean, I feel like you handled it as well as anyone could possibly do. And, you know, you did, everything you needed to do to get your face out there and let people know what your story was. And I'm sure that that was all very difficult to figure out how to do. And I'm sure your parents had a really hard, there's no, there's no roadmap of like, this is what you do now. Um, Yeah. And walking away from your friends in the show, like the whole thing. Well, yeah. And that was, that was the hard, for me, that was the hard part because, you know, anyone that's been in like this business, you, you learn quickly that, all these people in the cast, they just, they become your family. They're your best friends. They're your, they're everything. And, um, when everything happened, like I, I didn't really hear from anyone. And I later found out that they were told not to reach out to me and that they weren't allowed to talk to me or they would lose their jobs. Um, obviously there was a lot writing on opening night in New York and this is the 20th anniversary of the show. And I can, I can understand it now and I don't have any like hard feelings, but yeah, it was, it was tough navigating. Like just because again, it was such a big story at that time publicly that when it all happened, it was still like public. And like there were cameramen going through my mom and dad's trash outside to see if like they were, they waited and waited and waited outside of our house. And like, I had to like sneak out and go to a neighbor's house. It was like, I mean, it was like a very big news story. I mean, it was everywhere and it feels like it ultimately hurt the show so much because, you know, it had this negative connotation. We were a bunch of people watching you become the next Annie. And then to just tell me this other little kid is doing it, it was like, not going to work for me at 16. I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's, I'm not going to see that that little kid. I don't care how cute she is, but it, I'm sure that they were looking at the show and saying something's not working. And what was wor- not working was that it was, you know, all these years later and theater had changed so much and Broadway had changed so much. And this kind of like hokey orphan story just didn't have right. the weight that it had in 19, you know, 70, whatever. And so, you know, I think it was, it seemed like, oh, we can disguise some of that by having the tiniest person run down the stairs, you know? Yeah. Uh, what was your relationship like with Nell Carter? Oh, Nell Carter. She was, she, oh my gosh, she was larger than life. She was, I don't even know. She, like, you would hear her from a mile away. You knew when she was in the building. Like she was just this, like I said, larger than life personality. 
loud and full of personality. And she was, she was always very, very kind to me, like kind of talked to me like I know I was an adult, like yeah. I was one yeah. of them, which was fine because I, I, there were quite a few cast members that were like that, but some of the things that like she would say to me, I was just, uh, I'm trying to remember anything in particular right now, but yeah, she, she just treated me like an adult and she would, she would give me little tips, um, like for her voice, if it was tired and, and things like that. And I loved it. Like we, I wouldn't say that we were like hanging out all the time. Well, that like would she, be weird too. So there you go. Right. <laughs> no, the, um, Andrew McArdle and Sarah Jessica Parker came out very publicly and said that they wouldn't attend the opening of the Broadway because of you. When, when you were hearing that, uh, does that make you feel some as a little kid to be like, these women are saying like standing by me. Like, did you remember any of that? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. It was like, it was so, it was so rewarding and satisfying. And I was just like, I can't even believe this. And it just, it felt good that I had that support, you know, like regardless of all these people who watched the show and followed me and supported me on the show, when you get someone like that, that yeah. like does some like, and it's like publicly supporting you. I was just, I was over the moon. I couldn't believe it. And I, I still wish to this day that I can like thank them. And you know what? I, I mean, I you can, I you did. can. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And Andrea, like I, I did, I have seen her after, after the fact and thanked her. Yeah. Um, but like Sarah Jessica I know Parker. she's a little harder to get to. You can go to the <laughs> shoe store. Apparently she's at the shoe store like all the time. <laughs> I mean, we can go together. I'm also obsessed with her, but because Girls Just Want to Have Fun is the greatest 80s dance movie. Okay. So yeah. after all, all this is happening, you start doing talk show circuit. You're on Rosie, you're on Sally. Obviously you continue to film the story for um, the Nightline situation. What do you remember about these appearances of, of kind of going on all these talk shows to tell your story? Was it bringing it up for you constantly or was it helping you get through it? Honestly, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't, I've never actually. I'm a reporter now. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're also my, my therapist. Okay, <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's like a major. <laughs> um, you know what? I think I have to say, I think it did help me through it. You know, like I was getting to also go through, go to these really cool places. Like I was like flying to LA and going to Universal Studios and Disneyland. And so there was like that part where they're putting you up in these nice hotels and all the stuff. So it was like, hmm, I think this worked out for me. Okay, you know? yeah. I mean, the show <laughs> opened, it didn't do great. It ran for 239 performances and you did, you would have, you would have probably had to leave after six months anyway. So you actually put in the, you probably got in the same amount of performances on tour that happened on Broadway. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and there was this backlash about, the firing of you that really like hurt this show. That's all about a little girl who makes it through and to not let a little girl make it through is right. A problem. Yeah. And you yeah. didn't, you didn't hold any really like contempt for Martin. And obviously, I mean, and that is really very impressive. Well, I think at the end of the day, like it was the money. Mm -hmm. It was, it was the money that was making all the decisions in, in the show. Um, Martin's a creative person, like the whole, the whole team, the cast, they're the creative side of, of this whole thing and this whole machine. But at the end of the day, the big decisions are coming from the money. Yeah. And I like, 
I mean, you know that now, but it's hard to know that then. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. So that same year, you also got to play Annie in North Carolina and like do it out again. Did that, did, did that production feel some sort of like a closure on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got to close the book on, I, I got to know when my first and last show was going to be. And, and honestly, I don't know if you've ever been to North Carolina, but like the people there are just yeah. like, I've never met people so wonderful. They and that theater is huge there. and beautiful. And I'm sure yeah. that, that production so it wasn't like a huge, to me, I was like, it's not that big of a difference. And honestly, I can, t- this is probably, I probably shouldn't even say this, but I can remember going to see my first Broadway show and thinking like, this is Broadway. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it was, it's so much smaller, especially if you saw shows on tour or, you know, right. you're in a 5,000 seat theater. And now all of a sudden you're playing for 1,100 people. It feels like right. you know, 10% of what you would get in a big touring yeah. house. So yeah. it does sometimes feel like, wait, should this be the opposite way? I think I was expecting, I had something in my head that was just so like, so big and grand and you know, like I said, when I was in North Carolina, I, there was a lot of amazing people who were just so supportive. And I think they were such a good supportive, the support system for me. And, um, I had such a great time that I didn't feel like I was really missing out on too much. And so obviously there was like a bigger deal because you guys had a settlement with Macy's cause this was part of a contest. Um, did they keep you away from all of that or how much of that did you know about? Yeah. And you know what, to this day, like, I still don't even know like half of what went on. It was all the adults that kind of handled all of that. And I, I, I regret, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to be known as that person. Like, but I, I, if it were my daughter, I would, I would want to fight for her. Yeah, of and, course. You know, like, so yeah. And, and at the end of the day, as a, the only way that I understood it at that age was that I don't want this to happen to another kid. Yeah. You know? So that's pretty much where I, I think you say that on a talk show and it seems so like from your heart, like I don't want anyone to go through what I'm going through. And it's just oh. like, Oh, and then I ain't going to be Annie no more is like kills me. It's because oh, no. that's Annie. Like, that's, it's <laughs> Annie. I ain't going to be Annie no more. It's actually the sweetest it's so upsetting um, because Ugh. you should have been, but let's move on. So we have this, <laughs> I'm sweating. And this is like real crazy. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Now, a bu- you're getting a bunch of offers, including like a movie about your life and the experience. Is that there was going to be like a made-for-TV movie, like the Joanna Pasidi story? What happened with that? I don't even know. You don't know I that? I don't even know what that was. Honestly, like, 
I have, yes, I can remember like my managers mentioning like deals coming through from Disney and different, different things. And I just like showed up. I, I remember going to a couple of meetings in LA with Disney and I'm, I really don't even know, like, I don't know whatever happened to it. If it was ever something real or like, I, have, like, oh I really have no clue, no clue. So how do you transition back into like a regular life? Are you going back to regular school again? And how are the kids with that after having this very tabloid, I mean, crazy 90s exposure? Oh, man. I think that was honestly, that was the hardest part for me. Yeah. And still, when I think back to it, it's like, I, I think I probably still have issues as an adult to this day. Like just, so I would say when I went into Annie, I was this like, super outgoing, silly, class clown, bubbly person. And when I came home, I was, I was completely different. And it was more so how I had to handle all this attention on me with my friends and going back to school. And like I said, before I even went into it, I was the person like, I didn't ever want to feel like too special or like brag or show off or anything. So then going back home and going back I think it was seventh grade, which is already like such a like the worst. Yes, absolutely. So it was, it was hard. It was really, really, really hard. Um, kids were really just awful. Yeah, they're, and they're, the they're still awful. Kids they're are like horrible. <laughs> yeah, theater like, kids uh, are nice. Were you doing any yeah. like theater then, or did you just need a five after that experience? I did a couple of things, but not too much. Um, I'm trying to think. I did, I did like a dinner theater show. That was a show that was written all all around me. Um, it was called "Give My Regards to Broadway," <laughs> and um, it was kind of a review with like a bunch of a bunch of um, Broadway songs, um, and it was fun. Like, but I didn't do too much. And I was trying to in school. I was trying to like still do choir stuff and still kind of try to fit in and. Um, be as normal as I possibly There's like could. no having normal after having that. It's just like legitimately like trauma. And then also, you know, that there's something that you should be doing, but you get, so at 16, you graduate high school early and move to LA on your own to pursue music. How hard was that decision to make to go music over theater? Um, talk to me about um, that. You know, it was scary. It was scary because I knew theater and I knew the people and theater families are just, they're amazing. They're just so, there's so much heart and the record industry is the complete opposite. Totally. <laughs> so it was scary. It was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of pressure. I was very insecure. Um, I had an awesome team of people. My manager was like my best friend. She was so protective of me. Um, but it just, I think it just, it was really, really, really hard. It was a completely different animal than theater. Like, And obviously so you get signed very quickly and you start recording and uh, you record a song called Watch Me Shine on the Legally Blonde soundtrack, which is a big deal. You record your own album, This Crazy Life. Um, I love your obsession. It's like a good song. Uh, <laughs> and then you have your first single, Let It Slide. So like with Geffen, so like you are in the music industry doing the thing. Did it feel like you were where you were supposed to be? You know what? Yes, because I discovered at that point that I could write songs. And that to me was like, 
that was my comfort zone. Like that was like, you know, you have such a big machine behind you and label execs telling you, you need to be this, you need to be this, you need to do this, all this stuff. But when it came time to like, when I was writing songs, it was like, I just get to be me and write whatever I want right now. Um, and you know, you can be creative in theater and do those things obviously, but it was, that was where I felt like I was at home, like being a songwriter, being an artist, um, getting to make those decisions, you know, is how much of your album did you write? Um, let me see. I think I I wrote most of it except for your obsession. Um, (laughs) no, I love all of it. I just like that song. (laughs) Um, that's a Diane Warren song. Um, but I did, I wrote, I wrote most of the, and the single, let it slide. That's huge. Um, yeah. How did it feel when that was like out in the world? Like I have a single out, it's doing well. Like I'm sure there's some, the little girl version of you is like, okay, Joanna, you're doing it. You're doing great. I mean, tell me about that. Like when that single came out. Yeah. You know what? Like I was just having this conversation with someone, a friend of mine who released a book and I was saying like, it's, it's weird. Like, especially when you're writing these songs and then you release it, like you spend, I spent years working on this album, which it shouldn't have taken as long as it did. Um, but I spent years writing and, and it's like your little baby. And then once they say it's done, it's sealed, here's your art album artwork, it's all done. And then it's out and like people have it in their hands. Like I felt naked, like, oh my gosh, they're all looking at me now. Like, you know, it was like, it made me feel so small at the moment, which is weird to be like the opposite. You feel like so empowered, but I, I was just, yeah, I was, I couldn't believe that all these people are listening to my music. It's, it's crazy that I created that I worked on and I got to perform every night and go on tour and all these things. It was, it was awesome, but it's a, it's such a tough, it's It's like the hardest industry ever. And there's, when I have students who want to go that way, I'm like, I do not know what to tell you. Like just (laughs) writing your songs and like try to record them. Like, I don't know. It's just like a very hard road. When did the MTV first year TV show come? Was that before the album came out or after? That was before the album. And they just sort of followed you. They followed me in the first year of my career. Um, You're like the first year of my career was many years ago, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was cute though. They like followed like meetings before photo shoots and how you have these teams of people that are like your stylist and your, your hair person and your makeup person and all the elements that go into creating your look and you, Joanna, the artist and. Like the, the meetings, like, are you going to go by just Joanna or Joanna Pasidi? Or they were talking about changing my last name completely. And like, what was like, was there a name you remember that they threw out at you? Oh, I don't remember. But I mean, we were very close. So we have a family named DeMarco. So they were like, well, DeMarco's still Italian, but it doesn't sound as crazy as Pasidi. So like they were going with DeMarco <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> like, um. So tell me about how American Idol, this is uh, season eight, you made it to the top 36, but then were removed from the competition because you had had these record deals and, you know, you were already kind of in the industry. But uh, tell me about when did you feel like I'll go the American Idol way? You know, like, how did how did that come up? Well, that's interesting. Um, so when I was still signed to my, my label, um, 
I worked very closely with Ron Fair, who is famous for discovering and producing Christina Aguilera and um, Black Eyed Peas and all these huge artists at the time. Um, and he was also, he had moved from RCA to first AM, then AM turned into Geffen. Um, so he was, he's such a creative person and he was kind of expected to be the CEO making more of the business decisions. So he had told me right when he signed me that like, I want to produce your album. I want to like, be so hands-on and be involved in this whole process. So he wouldn't even allow me to like work with other producers to produce the album. So we just waited and waited and waited and waited until he had this time to make the album. So quickly, bam, made the album. And the timing was just all off. It didn't come out like when the MTV show came out. It didn't come out when the Legally Blonde show. So it was like, we just missed that. Like window, yeah. We had so many platforms that would have been perfect to release an album right then, but we just, we weren't ready with the album. Um, so he sat down with me um, and it, it probably was a year after my album released. And kind of saw that, listen, like we, I opened for Sheryl Crow. I toured with Nick, with Nick Lachey. Like we've been like pushing and pushing and it's just not like catching on. We've put like, I think it was like $4 million into your project at that point. It's been like five years. Um, and I, I don't want you to have to recoup all of that. And honestly, like it just like I'm thinking of you. And he just said, he's like, you can either go and hook up with 50 Cent. So there's a story. Or maybe we can kind of part ways and you can go on a show like American Idol, which is a huge platform. And I think you'll be able to get the recognition that you deserve on a show like that. And so um, I was dropped from the label and it was probably, I was, I think I was in a relationship. I was, I moved to Michigan, like I was living in Michigan at the time. That's not and then <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and I saw the advertisement for Idol and I was like, like, what the hell? Like, I'm well, right, yeah. why not, you know, and reviewed all the contracts. I gave in all of my termination contracts, all of my record contracts, everything. Like in the very beginning, they need to know your whole life story right off the bat. And there wasn't like anything against the rules that of me being part of the show at all. So it was like, okay, we're safe. I didn't want to be in another like crazy scenario. And then <laughs> here you are. Like, oh <laughs> yes. um, but I auditioned for the show. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. It really was. It, it's unfortunate how it, how it ended. And I, again, I don't think it was fair because I mean, now it's come a long way. You see the voice, you see the idol, and there's so many people who have had experience, you know, and you handled the, you know, them having to remove you from idol significantly better. Cause you had been through something like this before. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it did, it did help me, but I, I think going through it as an adult and understanding things a little bit better I think it made me more frustrated. Like, listen, like you have all of my contracts, New, all of yeah, my termination yeah, yeah. letters. Like I did everything the way I should have done it. I didn't do anything wrong, you know, like, and I've always been like such a big, like, even if I watch shows now, like I'm such a sucker for 
the person who's the survivor and like you're pushing through it and still staying positive. And like, I still to this day, like feel that that same, but it's, you know, like it just, it's a TV show and you just have to know that um, going into it and coming out of it, that it is a TV show and there's no script, but they are going to try to create any type of scenario that they possibly can. So um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) So before Idol in 2007, you recorded the Out From Under song on the Bratz movie soundtrack, which then Britney Spears recorded on her circus album. Um, What was it like sort of listening to your song? You're like, wait, hold the phone. This is my song, Britney. (laughs) Um, You know what? I I know that the... I know how songwriters work. I'm a songwriter myself. Um... And I was actually honored. I'm like, it's Britney Spears. Like, and if anything, it it will point, maybe it will point people in my direction and say, oh, she's not the original person who did the song. Let me listen to this version. So I I never like was like, hey, you're stealing my song. Like, this is not right. Like, it was cool. I thought it was really cool that Britney Spears was recording your song. You can say your yeah. song. Okay, your song. It's so cool. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you have done so many things and you've recorded so much and you have such like a musically diverse, exciting career. And, you know, it's so thrilling to see your name on albums and on soundtracks. And you should be so proud of that work. And, you know, to have gone out and actually made an album and, and written, actually written songs on it. Most artists don't get to do that on their first album. So it's just like, it's great. Now, do you think that like Broadway could ever like call you back? Would you be interested in, cause I know some people would be very, very thrilled to see you in a Broadway musical. I would absolutely love that. Like, I feel like there's this little part of me that's like, one day I'll get to Broadway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I've seen both sides. I've seen like the the record industry and I've seen the theater industry. And it's like, even though there was a lot of heartache um, involved with the whole Annie situation, I have the most amazing memories from that tour and the lifelong friendships that I've made. Um, and it's just a different environment that I just, I love. And when I do go to the theater, it's obviously been a long time. Um, For everyone, I, don't worry. Yeah. It's not like everyone's like, going and you're not. It's fun. I know. I know. But when I, when I'm going to see these shows, I'm like, I want to get up there. Like I want to be up there. I should be up there, you know, like, so yeah, I would absolutely in a heartbeat would love to well, do we're going to get the ball roll. It's happening. It starts, it's starting right now. You start getting your musical theater songs together. You can email me. I'll send you some suggestions. On YouTube, I saw, I was like, Joanna Pasidi, someone like you. And I was like, ooh, from Jekyll and Hyde, but it's Adele. It was still very good. It was amazing, but I wanted, I wanted the other one. So. Well, I will need some suggestions because it's been a while. Yeah, I've, I've been out of the loop. I'm going to send you some songs. No, you have a very beautiful family. You have a gorgeous husband. You have the cutest little girl. It's Adelaide, right? And yeah, you're going to have. Tell us what you're having, or is that quiet right now? No, yeah, I'm having. We're having a boy. Yay! Okay, so yeah. you're like very busy being a mom, so it's hard to do all of these things. Um, has has motherhood sort of changed your outlook of what your experience was as a kid? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like I, there's so many things that I'm like, as a mother, I would have done this, this, and this, and this, and this. And obviously, we live in a completely different world now, you know. Um, and I feel like 
the industry can't get away with a lot of the things that they used to be able to get away with. So there's that that would make me feel a little safer about it. But I also, if she ever said that she wanted to sing or um, I, I think I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. It happens. It's going to happen. That's like one of them. You're going to have to have two. One of them's going to want to sing. It's just, it's just the way yeah. it's going to go. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's scary. Definitely scary. Well, you certainly would be prepared and know what to do. And so I trust it would be amazing. <laughs> Joanna, we have to do obsessed and quick fire. So tell me what you're obsessed with right now. You know, I, I pretty much um, follow and watch things that I relate to at the moment. Um, I'm a big, sadly, Bachelor fan. Um, it's it's awful. And I can't, like, I'm trying so hard to step away from it. I'm like, Listen, if it oh, brings you joy, then you should watch it. I watch probably like 10 hours of Housewives a week. So it's all, um, it's. I know. And it's like, I know this is not, it's just not good for your soul. It's not doing anything for me, but it's just. And my husband just frowns upon it. And he's like, why do you watch this? Like, I just don't get it. And I watch it at late at night by myself once Adelaide's in bed. And I, I love it. <laughs> my obsession this week is a show called Breeders on Hulu and FX. It is this British comedy. It is so brilliantly funny, sort of about a, a mother and father and these two kids. And they're they're like crazy, wacky parents. And it's a really good time. So check out Breeders oh. on Hulu. You'll love it. Yeah. All right, here we go. These are the Broadway Workshop Quickfire questions. First audition song. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Favorite holiday. Christmas. First Broadway show you saw. Grease. Have you rewatched the turning point of About You? Recently was the first time in all these years. Did you watch it with someone? Year. Or you were like, I need to. Um, I watched it with my husband. He had never seen it. What was his reaction? He was mad. <laughs> he, was, he was angry. <laughs> I, I rewatched it in preparation for this and I hadn't seen it since it was on. And I was so angry as well. So there you go. <laughs> All right. What do you want on your bagel? On oh, my bagel. Um, I'm, I'm pretty simple. I like an everything bagel with, with cream cheese. I feel you. Do you have any memories of Sutton Foster in the ensemble of Annie? <sighs> she is my absolute favorite. Like, there were a few people in the cast that were like my my besties, but Sutton, I always called her Sut Butt. That was that was my name for a Sut Butt. Um, but yeah, she was. I saw her not that long ago, and she. I, I can't even begin to tell you. She is just like sunshine. That's the only word I can think of. And for her to have that Millie experience, which is so similar to the opposite of what y'all went through, yes, so it's pretty crazy. Okay, have you auditioned for another Broadway show after Annie? After Annie, um, yeah, I did as a kid, a, a few for sure. Um, and then right when I met my husband, it was a, I literally went on a date with him. It was our first date after I auditioned for Wicked. Oh my God. <laughs> on Broadway. Yes. Um, I need that to happen. I'm just too short. Um, how tall are you? <laughs> I'm only 5'2". Oh, you are little. Went, like, yeah, okay. I know, okay. I know. But yeah, so that was like, the, the fork in the road for me. Can you name two real housewives? No. Right? That just means you're classier than I am. Um, do you have any, any things in your house? 
Oh my goodness. I, my mom has a lot, um, but I do have like a hand crocheted Annie doll and I have a little, it was actually Martin Charnin, so that he wore for the 20 years leading up to me playing Annie. It's a stained glass necklace um, of Annie with like the big um, empty eyes. And that's like my most prized possession from that, from that era. Tell us one thing about Paula Abdul. Um, what's, (laughs) she's very, she's very tiny. She's like, I swear, like four feet tall. (laughs) All right. If you could do any show on Broadway, what would it be regardless of height or anything like that? (laughs) Um, you know what? Waitress, Waitress the musical I would do. Yes. Oh God. See, like you're, you're planting some good seeds. What movie can you watch over and over again? La Bamba. (laughs) (laughs) And my last question, what advice do you have for young performers? Gosh. Um, You just have to be very strong. Um, Be aware of yourself. Be aware of what you want, what your goals are. Um, Don't let anyone take advantage of you. And have a good team surrounding you to protect you. and just don't give up. Yes, don't give up. Joanna Pasidi, tell the people where they can follow you and see what you're up to. Um, Instagram, I'm on Instagram. It's at Joanna Pasidi. Yes. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. Sorry. I feel like a mom. I'm a mom. Like, it's just a little weird if I did that after my daughter went to bed. <laughs> making TikTok. Well, everyone follow Joanna. Joanna, this was such a delight for me. Thank you so much for going through this experience and and sharing your story with me. Uh, I think you're so exceptionally talented and I can't wait to see what's next for you. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. This is so much fun. And everybody, we will see you next week. And remember to follow Little Me Podcast at Little Me Podcast on Instagram. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at ThatTuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.